Good morning, Mercy House. Uh, welcome to our live stream service, and uh, also welcome to those of you that maybe this is your first time just logging on. Maybe a friend of yours uh, posted this, and you just thought, oh, I'll check it out. So we're really glad that you've joined us, uh, and you're joining us for the final sermon in a sermon series we've called Follow, which is taking us uh, through a lot of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And so I hope that you'll, you'll be following along with us. Uh, I'm going to actually I'm gonna look at three different passages uh, this morning that uh, I think deal with the same thread uh, of the cost of following uh, Jesus. And, you know, up to this point, we've looked at who Jesus is, finding out that he is, he is God, that he is king, and that he is our Savior, uh, but also finding out what he wants us to do in response to him, which the response is to follow him. And we've looked at lots of specifics uh, around that. Uh, we've looked at the topic of prayer, evangelism, the problem of hypocrisy, uh, all these uh, different topics. Uh, but this final topic, I feel like, is one that's very unique uh, to the Gospel of Luke, and that is the cost of following Jesus. And so uh, we want to look at three things uh, regarding the cost, that the, the Jesus is clarifying the cost of what it means to follow him, uh, that he's in, uh, inviting us to count that cost once we've clarified it, uh, and then uh, to pay the cost. Uh, so clarify and count uh, and pay. So let's look at clarify the cost uh, first. So Luke 9, verse 57, uh, it starts this way. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now this seems really good. I mean, Jesus wants people to follow him. He said that. Uh, and now he's got someone on the hook. They're, they're a potential disciple. And it seems like congratulations would be in order. But instead, Jesus clarifies the cost for him. He says this in verse 58. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lets him know that if he's going to join the band of Jesus' followers, that he's not going to know where he's going to sleep and where his meal is going to, to come from uh, that night. Now, it doesn't mean that his needs are not going to be taken care of. You may remember last week when uh, Austin preached from Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus said this to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither, they neither have a storehouse nor a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? So what Jesus is doing, he's inviting this guy in to trusting in the Father, trusting uh, that the Father is going to provide shelter, provide food uh, as, as they follow uh, Jesus. And so the cost number one that he clarifies is that we must relinquish control over our material life. So this is the first clarification of the cost is that we must relinquish control over our material life. Now, honestly, we don't, none of us have control over our material life. I mean, if coronavirus and the downturn of the economy have taught us anything, uh, we don't have control. And so the name of the game for the non-Christian is to do everything they can to try to grasp control. Uh, this is what you saw in the parable of the uh, the man who had a bumper crop and built bigger barns and tried to store up more and more uh, of his wealth. He's to try to get control. Uh, but it, in, 
people who are followers of Jesus don't do that. Instead, uh, they don't build barns. They are actually generous uh, towards others. And so when King Jesus uh, commands them to do something that's not consistent with uh, their material safety, uh, they're able to obey it and to do so uh, with joy. Uh, Luke describes it this way in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He describes uh, the posture of the follower of Jesus in regard to their material life. He's saying you can be anxiety-free, you can be generous toward others, you can relinquish your control over your material life. You know, we, we, we challenged uh, our members to do this over the last couple of weeks. We sent out a little form uh, for you to fill out and to uh, project uh, your giving for the coming fiscal year. And our hope was not that you just look at last year's giving and then just plug it in there, uh, but that you would consider how you could give more generously uh, unto the glory of King Jesus and the good of the gospel ministry at Mercy House. And we believe that you can do that because you have relinquished your control over your material life. This is part of what it means to, to pay the cost uh, to follow Jesus. Then he clarifies another cost. Luke 9, verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this time, Jesus actually approaches someone and asks them to follow him. And his answer is, well, uh, I need to bury my father. Now, uh, I don't think he's, he's talking about the, the corpse of his father lying there on the ground and he's starting to dig the hole for his father. And Jesus is like, no, uh, we don't have time for that. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus is saying. What, what the person seems to be saying is, I need to stay home until my parents die and then after that, I can go follow you. And Jesus is saying, no, <laughs> no. Even though in first century, that might sound like a really... Good idea, a really honorable idea. I mean, the value of family was preeminent in the first century. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to follow me. Now, does Jesus always ask people to leave their family, leave their home, and, and, and follow him somewhere else? No, he, he doesn't always ask that. But in this particular situation, he is asking that, and he's saying, when King Jesus asks for you to do something, you do it. And so this points us to the, the, the second cost that he's clarifying, and that is to relinquish control over your relational life. So it's not only, only your material, your physical life, but your relational life as well. Now, Luke has shown us that, that this is, with this illustration that's right at the end of this section in Luke 9, uh, that this, the sense of this is that you don't look back. You hear the call of Jesus uh, to, 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 to follow him, and you follow him, and you never look back. He, 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 he quotes Jesus using this image 
uh, of the plow, right? And he says, if you, when you put your hand to the plow, you don't look back. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us, but, but in the ancient world, if, if you were plowing behind an animal, you had to keep your head straight ahead. And that kept the row that you were plowing straight. But if you looked back, you would start to veer off and you would have this, you know, uh, really curvy row and it would totally destroy the work uh, that you were doing. And so Jesus says, when you hear my call to follow me, you put your hand to the plow, you put your face forward and you do not look back. This is uh, the clarification of the cost of following Jesus. Now, some of you are asking in your mind, I, I wonder if it's worth it. I wonder if it's worth it. As the cost is being clarified, you're, you're thinking, I don't know if it's worth it to follow Jesus like that. What that tells me is that you're beginning to actually bump up against real Christianity. It, I, I'm, I'm serious. Um, I think Christianity is often offered like a therapy to comfort you, or it's offered like a self-help program to help you get the stuff you wanted anyway before you heard about Jesus, whether it be health or wealth or a great spouse or whatever the case uh, may be. If you're really on the road to be a true follower of Jesus, I think you hit this, this wall where you realize what King Jesus is asking of you. And because of that stark clarification that Jesus makes of the cost, you say to yourself, I'm not so sure it's worth the cost. It's sort of like purchasing a house. You count the cost. You think about the benefits of purchasing a house. You think about the cost of purchasing a house. Think, okay, uh, if I get a house, I got a mortgage, I got taxes, I got repairs, I've got upkeep. Is it worth it to stop being a renter and become an owner. Jesus is using this imagery of, of money, <laughs> talking about counting the cost in much the same way. Think, thinking through it up front, is following Jesus worth the cost that I will pay in my relationships, in, uh, in my uh, material life? And, and he wants us to do that. Now flip over to the next section in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Uh, again, some more talk of counting the costs. Uh, now great uh, crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here we have more clarifying of cost. And here it's, it's, it's more the relational cost of following uh, Jesus. And so uh, what, what, what he's doing here is, is not saying you should have uh, hateful attitudes and actions towards your family. That's, that's not what he's, he's saying, but, but he's using hyperbole uh, to, to, to say that in comparison, your love for Jesus in comparison to your love for your family causes it to look like hate because of uh, the divide between those two loves. S similar to uh, JD's love for Boston sports teams, okay? He loves Boston sports teams. I think it's obvious. Ashley does too, as you can see. <laughs> and so if we were, to, we were to ask JD, 
uh, we know you love Boston sports teams, but do you hate sports teams from Detroit? And he would probably say, no, 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 I don't have anything against... Now, he did say to me that if I said D- New York, there would really be hatred there. But, but, but Detroit, you know, you know, on the surface, like, no. But, but then you compare how much he loves Boston sports teams compared to his love or interest in Detroit. There's, I mean, it does look like hatred against Detroit compared to his love for Boston sports teams. It, it, it's something akin to what, what Jesus is saying here. Your allegiance to King Jesus, supersedes every other allegiance in your life so much that it begins to look like hate in comparison. So, we've clarified the cost. Now we're ready to count it. Right? We've clarified it. Now we know what we're talking about. We're going to count it. And he gives two illustrations in this Luke chapter 14 that help us understand the concept of counting the cost. So Luke 14, 28 says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation. He asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so here Jesus, again, up front, he's saying, you should count the cost. No, he's not like a slick salesman where he's sort of hiding all of the fine print trying to get you to sign the contract. He's, he's taking all the fine print, blowing it up in bold type, and putting it right before us and saying, no, take a look. Take a look at the cost. You should count the cost. And he uses these two illustrations. So one is the building of the tower. If you're going to build a tower, Jesus says, you should consider what's the cost of the supplies and the labor. Uh, and what you want to do is make sure you've got plenty of money to pay for the supplies and the labor so that you can finish the project. What you don't want to do is say, well, I've got a few bucks I'll start the tower foundation. Hopefully it'll work out and then we can, you know, maybe finish it up. He says, if you do that, you'll be the laughing stock of the town. Uh, it's similar to uh, the big dig. And some, some of you remember the big dig. This was a huge Boston road construction uh, project in the 90s. The projected cost of the big dig was $2.8 billion. And by the end of the project, it cost twenty two. A million dollars. Uh, projected time was that this thing would be done in 1998, and it was done in 2006. Right? Didn't didn't necessarily appropriately count the cost. Now, to be fair, they did start planning in 1982. <laughs> in Wikipedia, awesome. Okay, so some professing Christians look like the big dig. They look like the big dig. They profess faith in Jesus. They're posting on social media. They're showing up at every church event. And then a cost presents itself. And it's a material cost. It's a relational cost. And then they start to weigh the cost. And they go, oh, I don't think this is what I bargained for. And they walk away from Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to count the cost on the front end. He wants you to look at the fine print on the front end and count it for real. He uses the illustration of going to war. Uh, wars are costly. They're costly in blood. They're costly in treasure. Uh, you don't want to wage a war you cannot win. So if you're thinking, oh, you know, my, my, my enemy has 20,000 troops, I have 10,000 troops, you're like, I think I'll negotiate because I don't want uh, to pay this cost. But if I think I can win, then possibly I will go to war and then my, my opponent will have uh, to negotiate. The Vietnam War is a war in our history where uh, we didn't really count the cost. Uh, it, it started in, in 1965 with 3,500 Marines that went into the country uh, just to guard uh, a U.S. base there. And by the end of the Vietnam era, there was 9 million soldiers that had come in and out of that country, uh, 60,000 dead, uh, and untold thousands, tens of thousands of, of others dead and, and casualties and all the fallout from that. It cost about $1 trillion in today's, uh, today's dollars. And so uh, historians th throughout uh, the decades afterward ha have, have been saying, it, was it worth the cost? Was it, was it counted? No, probably not. Was it, was it worth it? As, as opposed to like the Civil War, 1.5 million casualties in a country of 31 million. That's how, many, uh, how much population we had at the time. Of those 1.5 million casualties, about 600,000 were, were, were deaths. We, we've never lost as many people in any war, all added up, <laughs> uh, than in the Civil War. Uh, it also cost, I think, about $600 billion uh, in uh, today's dollars. But was it worth it? Yeah, it, it was worth it to free 4 million slaves that were enslaved at that time of the Civil War. The cost was counted. The cost uh, was worth it. Now, again, Jesus is rolling out. He is rolling out the cost on the front in um, the writer of Hebrews, uh, just so you know that this is not just a Luke thing, uh, describes uh, Christians this way and the cost that they, they have to pay. Others suffered mocking, this is uh, Hebrews 11, and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Is it always this way? No, it's not always this way. But if Jesus asks this of his followers, it's worth it. Right? It, it, it is potential that you will bear that kind of cross. And no matter who you are, you will be asked to pay in regard to what it means to follow Jesus. There will be a cost. Now, we're still not fully counting the cost because we haven't also counted the benefits. That's just part of, path of counting the cost. And I think a portion of Luke that really illustrates that is the, the, the story of the rich ruler. And this is in Luke 18. Luke 18. So flip over to Luke 18, verse 18. We have a ruler who asked Jesus, he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Um, and so uh, he, he, he tells him that he, he, he knows the, the, uh, the Old Testament. He knows the Ten Commandments. And um, oh, there we go. Oh, I'm sorry. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And so here we, we have this ruler who's, who's trying to get him some uh, eternal life. Um, and he's wanting to clarify the cost on that eternal life. And so he's like, what do I got to pay to get eternal life? And so Jesus kind of he gets into this with him, and, and, he, and he starts to play his own game. He's like, okay, let's play that game. So have you followed all the Ten Commandments? Have you paid that cost? And he says, yeah, I have. Now, there's a big problem with that. I don't have time to go into why that's such a problem, but it's a problem. Uh, so he says, yeah, yeah, I follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. Um, and then Jesus, he pushes him a little, little further, and, and, he, and he play, again, he's playing his own game there. In verse 22, Jesus heard this. He said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And so <laughs> he just pushes him more. He says, oh, okay, Ten Commandments, check. How about this? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me. And he just, he just ups the cost. Right? Now what Jesus is not saying is uh, that somehow this ruler could earn eternal life. He's, he's not saying, oh, you've got the commandments down. Now if you just do this, give some money to the poor, then you'll earn your way into heaven. What he's doing is Jesus is asserting himself as, as God, <laughs> as king. And he's saying, okay, here's what you really need to do. You need to respond to me in faith. You need to respond by following me. And he takes dominion over this guy's life. He takes his, his kingly right over this guy's life. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything. I want you to follow me. And, and, he, and Jesus has the right to do that. Jesus has every right to do that. He has the right to, to tell us to give generously. Uh, he has the right to tell us to pick up and leave our families and go somewhere else for the, his name's sake. Uh, he has the right to tell us to love our enemies. Uh, he has the right to tell us to go to Yemen and take the gospel. He has the right to tell us to walk across the street and have an awkward conversation to share the gospel with our neighbor. Mm -hmm. He's king. This is the cost of following Jesus, doing what he says, no matter what. And so he clarifies that for this ruler. And, and the ruler uh, counts the cost. Verse 23 of Luke 18. But when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. So we find out here the ruler is, is, is rich. And so he looks at his riches and he looks at King Jesus and he decides that his riches are more worthy. They have more weight than King Jesus. That's what's going on there. We often sing about how God and Jesus, how, how, how God is worthy. That's what we're saying. We're saying you have more weight. My allegiance to you is greater than anything else in this world. Right? Nothing else is more worthy than, than you, God. And, and in that moment, that rich young ruler said, actually, there are things in this world that are more worthy than God. And he sang his little You Are Worthy song to his bank account. And... So as, as, as they walk away, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus makes some comments. 
And it said, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus acknowledges that one's allegiance to wealth can oftentimes supersede one's allegiance to King Jesus. And that could be anything. It doesn't have to be money. It could be power, prestige, relationships with your family. It could be a number of things that you look at and you go, actually, that's more worthy than King Jesus. King Jesus says that's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. He is to be worthy. The, the, the one who your allegiance is uh, to above all other things. Now, thankfully, he says, now God can miraculously save people like this. God can miraculously save people who their valuation of what is worthy is all screwed up. And we're valuing things over and against God. And when that happens, God can save us. He can change our hearts such that we do see the worth of King Jesus. And, and this really comes uh, to the forefront at the, begin, at the end of this story here in Luke 18, uh, where, where Peter has a question. <laughs> and he says, See, we have left our homes and we followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive, don't miss this, many times more in this time and in the age to come. Peter starts to think transactionally uh, as well as he's listening to Jesus talk to this rich young ruler. And he's like, oh, well, we did leave everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to get out of it? Are we going to get a good transaction out of what we've given up uh, for you? And Jesus lets him know, oh, yeah, Peter. Because <laughs> what you get is you get Jesus. And Jesus has such infinite worth that in comparison to anything that they've left behind for his honor and glory, it doesn't even compare. It pales in comparison to the wealth, the, the infinite value of King Jesus. What, what, what happens is the thing that we once thought was worthy looks like poop compared to the infinite worth of Jesus. Now, that's not my words. That's actually Apostle Paul's words. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 7, which next week we're actually going to start a sermon series in Philippians. 3, 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, this, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul lost a lot in following Jesus. He lost things materially. He lost things relationally. Uh, maybe even a marriage. We, we, a lot of scholars would say because he was in the Sanhedrin, he's probably married. And his wife probably left him because of his following Jesus. But he says, in comparison to the infinite wealth of knowing Jesus Christ, the surpassing wealth, that looks like rubbish. The, the Greek word literally is poop. I'm, I'm serious. It's excrement. It looks like excrement compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Has that happened to you? Has that shift happened in your heart? Because if it has, it means you're converted. 
It means that you have genuinely received the gospel of grace. And you've responded with genuine saving faith. And, and, and one of the byproducts of that is that you saw the infinite worth of Jesus. And you counted the cost and you said, that doesn't even compare to the infinite worth of following Jesus. So if you've, if you've had the cost clarified and you've counted it, both, both what it's going to cost, but also the benefits of knowing Jesus, you're ready to pay the cost. Then and only then are you ready to pay the cost. This is, this is the making of a true follower of Jesus. Those who've had the cost clarified, those who've truly counted both uh, the cost, the benefits, and have paid that. They've laid down their lives in response to the goodness of the gospel. Jesus describes it this way in this short little parable from Matthew 13, verse 44. I love this little parable. I think it just really encapsulates what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And so, you know, that man woke up that morning and was looking at all the things that he had, all, all the material wealth he had, and he was like, wow, that's, that's worth a lot to me, until he went out to the, to, to the field and he stumbled on this treasure. And he's like, oh, ha, I'm going to buy this field. The, that stuff that I had that I thought was so worth uh, so much in the morning, it bears nothing to me compared to this treasure. Well, that treasure in the field is Jesus. That treasure in the field is Jesus. And when your eyes are open to the, to the infinite worth of Jesus, you're willing to leave behind those things in order to follow Jesus with absolute unconditional surrender of, of, of faith. This is what drew me to Christ, honestly. I mean, as a teenager, uh, I thought, you know, sports was worthy. And I worshipped. And it wasn't worthy. It let me down. I, I thought girlfriends were worthy. <laughs> they weren't. They, 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 they weren't worthy of my ultimate worship. I, I thought grades and, and school, like this was worthy, wasn't. And, and as a senior in high school, seeing for the first time, no, Jesus is worthy. He is the one who is infinitely worthy. And it was, it was then that I realized, oh, this is what I've been looking for. I have been looking for something to give my whole life to. And I just didn't know what it was. And when I met Christ 30 plus years ago, it was there that I realized, oh, this is what has the most weight. This is what is worthy uh, to be surrendered to with absolute unconditional uh, allegiance. And so, again, if, if your heart has not made that, that shift, um, Jesus died to save you. <laughs> he saved you. He's there to save you from thinking that, uh, the, the, that the, the things of this world are, are worthy. We, we can repent from that. And, and though it be impossible for us, it's not impossible for God. And we can turn away from valuing those things as ultimate and begin valuing Jesus as ultimate. This is the heart of the disciple. And, and Jesus made the way for that because when he counted the cost that it would, would cost him to save us with his death on the cross. You talk about, talk about cost. The infinite, uh, the infinite divine son of God laying his life down on the cross. Talk about cost. And he, he counted that cost. He knew exactly what he was doing. 
It didn't surprise him. He knew. And he said, no, I'm going to pay that cost. And he did. He laid his life down for the glory of God and for the good of sinners like you and me. And so this is what we see, not just the, the, the infinite value of the person of Jesus, but, but the infinite value of his work at the cross. And we behold his person and his work, and, and it's there that we realize, oh, he is worthy of our faith, of our trust, of our absolute right. allegiance. So my encouragement to you this morning, if you've never responded uh, to Jesus in this way, to do so this morning. That, that, that if you think you're seeing him for who he is and what he's done for you, to, to lay your life down in absolute surrender and faith uh, to him. And, and it's, it's worth it. <laughs> the cost is worth it. Is it a high cost? Yeah, it's a high cost. But in comparison, just like he told Peter, in comparison to whatever you, you're leaving behind, it doesn't even, even start to compare because of the greatness of knowing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you want to dig into that a little more, we, we've even has a little, we have a little response page, mercyhouse365.org slash respond. And you can go to that page and, and you can read more about the gospel, just the basics of the gospel and respond. And in that page is, uh, you can fill out a little form and let us know, hey, I, I, I've, I've made this step. I've, I've stepped across this line and I've placed my trust in Savior King, um, Jesus. For others of us that, you know, you're listening to me and you're going, yep, 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 I believe that. But you know we need a renewal of this in our minds. Because our default of, 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 in our flesh is just to go back to valuing things over and against Jesus. And this is, this is really what sin is. I mean, every sin is this at, the, at its root. We're saying, I value something else more than Jesus. You talk about sin, that's sin. And so our need to be reminded of this over and over and over and over again and, and to repent from it and to be refreshed in our minds about what is worthy, who is worthy, and that is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, it, 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 it causes us not, not only to repent from sin, but then to, to begin to obey in fresh new ways. And so there's no doubt that every one of us that, that hearing this sermon, including myself, are being called to pay more cost, materially, relationally, whatever the case may be. He's, he's calling us to pay um, and to do so for his honor and glory. <laughs> and, and it's worth it. It's worth it to follow our Savior King Jesus um, in this way. And so a couple questions that have come up, uh, and if you have more questions, uh, please feel free to put them in uh, the comment section, we won't be able to get to them today because I know this sermon's more like my usual sermons uh, in terms of length, uh, but we'd be happy to, to get back online or to maybe have a blog post, we'll see, but if you have more questions, please uh, feel free to put that uh, in the messaging. Um, one question is, so if I'm struggling in my treasuring of Jesus, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Um, and the question is, or the answer is, maybe Right? Like, like if, if you have never valued Jesus in the way that I'm speaking of, it, it's probable that you have done churchianity. You, you like, you know, you're a good person, you like church, you, you believe in God, kind of in general. 
But if, but if you've never beheld the value, the infinite value of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that you're willing to turn from sin and turn toward Him in faith, if you, you haven't become a Christian. And so I, I would encourage you to, to assess that, to think on that. But if, if, if you, in general, you, you, you've had that experience, know that it's, it's normal to be to kind of dragged back to those old uh, ways of valuing things that are not ultimately worthy. And so this, this, what's needed is just the ongoing confession of that, the asking of God for grace, that we would value Him as worthy of, of, of our attention, worthy of our obedience, of our affections, um, and know that this is what's going to happen uh, in the life to come. We're going to have a perfect heart, uh, and, and we're going to be ascribing ultimate worth to God for all eternity. And this is, this is what we long for. And so we're getting glimpses of that as we follow Jesus, as we worship him. But, but we're going to be in constant confession and repentance um, from that. So we're going to enter into a, a time of prayer. I, I think we, we need a, a time of confession, a time of asking the Lord uh, to, to make our hearts uh, ascribe ultimate worth to him. We're also going to pray uh, for the events that we've seen happening in our country in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, the injustice that we've seen, uh, the uh, division, racial division and racial pain uh, that we're seeing. And, uh, and so we as a church, uh, we, we acknowledge that and we want to cry out to God uh, in, in the pain of that, but, but also in the confession of, of sin uh, and asking him to intervene. Um, he, he's the one that can ultimately fix this. Um, and... Uh, and, and we need him to intervene in our hearts and lives, in our country, in our government. Uh, and so Austin's going to lead us in a time of prayer. So let's pray.